just uh, just go you know just say so I'm just I'm, I've set two of these things going because uh, sometimes one fails and you never know but it'll pick us up here so I'm sitting with uh, so got two going two, got two on the go yeah all right that's fine. Yeah. so I'm sitting here with uh, Richard Bean the author of The Heretic to be playing at uh, Burning Coal Theatre this September uh, and uh, Richard first question is what was your initial inspiration for for this piece well I lived in a house um, uh, in London and uh, the guy who lived on the top floor was a green journalist and we were all a little bit green and I, th I, re I remember voting green two or three times in elections when it came around and um, then I started getting a little um, questioning, let's use that phrase, so a little bit questioning about the green ideology uh, as it were and I started reading a few contra books, uh, books which criticised if you like the central premise of uh, anthropogenic global warming or another phrase might be catastrophic anthropogenic global warming so uh, debunking it I read, started reading a few de debunking books and they convinced me um, or I became more convinced and more sceptical so for instance then I looked again at Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth the film armed with a few um, I insights into wh what he'd got wrong in the film or whatever and really I must, I must have watched that film about 10 or 11 times at one point I have to say I watched it with a magnifying glass up against the screen because he has this graph at one point where he um, tries to measure uh, the rising rising CO2 CO2 levels with temperature or whatever and he gets his x and y axis mixed up and somebody had pointed this out and said do you know that graph's complete rubbish and it's not even doing what you know etc and so I checked all those kind of things like a mad person does like an obsessive does and i I think playwrights have to be a bit bonkers. Well, we end up bonkers. Um, we may not start out as bonkers, but if mm -hmm. you spend all your life in a basement on your own typing, you're going to go a bit mad. So, with, with a bit of mad um, evangelical zeal, there I was with Al Gore's in Inconvenient Truth, a magnifying glass on the screen, checking whether he'd got his X and Y axis, axis upside down. So then I was hooked. And I, one of the things that drives me as a playwright is if I think the world has got something wrong, and they're accepting it, then I would just want to wave a flag and say, no, 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 what? no, 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 I think you might have got it wrong. I think you might have got it wrong. I'm sorry, everybody, everybody has got it wrong. I know I, I've got no qualifications to talk on this subject, but I just want to point it out. Have another look. That's so, mm -hmm. it became a bit of a, I mean, that's, maybe I've got a personality that is a little bit um, contrarian, but um, it, where does my personality come from? I've got, I've got a science degree. So I don't, um, and I think this is a really very important point about the play, and uh, and actually it is in the play that um, the people who run our countries now, none of them are scientists. Basically, none of them are scientists. If you look at the British Houses of Parliament, I've no idea how America's uh, Senate and Congress are, but if the British members of Parliament, democratically elected members, I think there are three, three out of six hundred and what is it, forty, six hundred mm -hmm. more. Three with science degrees. I mean, that's extraordinary. They're all lawyers, basically, aren't they? Mm -hmm. I mean, we know that. Mm -hmm. They're all um, arts, humanities, or lawyers. Um, you get the or rather classically, Margaret Thatcher was a lawyer and a chemist. 
Well, uh, she'd be unusual, you yeah. see. She would be unusual. And, and quite interestingly, I suspect Margaret Thatcher uh, may have uh, been uh, um, uh, anthropogenic global warming sceptic. Mm -hmm. I use the phrase sceptic as, as opposed to the word denier because I, I don't like denier as a phrase. Sceptic, I think, is a very positive word because mm -hmm. basically sceptic means scientist, essentially. Mm -hmm. You know, the, all scientists are always sceptical. Yeah. It's um, interesting, I just, just yeah, thought of that when you said the de denier. It's a clever choose of these words because denier is always uh, put with holocaust as well. And so it's a major, it's, it's, all, it's like when they used to say peacenik. Yeah, it was sort of like somebody would be into peace, but it might suggest that it was slightly uh, um, uh, Soviet Russia as well at the same time. Yeah, it's, um, because the whole global warming uh, side has, is, I mean, it's split into a, it's become a war, hasn't it? It's, it's, it's you know, there's the sceptical camp and there's the alarmist camp, and it has become a war, and I'm very uncomfortable with that. Um, uh, partly because people people accuse me of being right wing because I've written a global warming skeptic uh, heroine, uh, and I'm I'm not at all right wing. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, you know, right wing, left wing has no relevance at all to this issue in mm -hmm. my opinion. But um, that, because it's gone into those two camps, then you've got big oil, you've got the Republican Party backing big oil or big oil backing the Republicans and the skeptics and. The Democrat, you know, I'm talking an American model here. Mm -hmm. The American, the Democrats and whatever, tend to be more uh, an Obama and um, Clinton tend to be more green. And, and Gore, of course. Yeah, and when you move to North Carolina, the big issue there is shale oil, gas, and fracking, and well, all that sort of stuff. And um, it, I mean, I it, it's what I know about shale oil in America is that it's brought the price of gas down, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and it's an incredibly successful business. I mean, I'm sure there's an environmental uh, mm -hmm. downside to it. I, mm -hmm. I, I suspect, like all massive mm -hmm. big industry, has got an environmental downside. But the amazing thing about um, uh, shale gas over here is we've got massive reserves of shale gas over here mm -hmm. in, in the kind of northwest of yes, uh, yeah. England, which we're not using, which... Mm. Because our government is so completely bought into this green agenda and not using fossil fuels, it's amazingly, it's almost like economic suicide. Mm. We're not even making any inroads into tapping the fabulous energy resources that that would give us. Mm. I mean, gas is a you know of all the uh, fossil fuels is is um, relatively clean. And, uh, so anyway, let me let me ask you this. this let let me say. Let it, I wonder if Al Gore got a magnifying glass and put it over your script. Yeah. Would he be able to say, "Ha ha, there are you know"? I can you say, hand on heart, you know, everything that I've got in there is is a a truth, a fact, a well, it's it's part. I mean, it's a play. I mean, that's, yes. that's the first thing I'd have to say about it. Is yes. it's a play. It's not. It's not. It's not um, an article that's been sent to Nature magazine and has been peer reviewed. Um, and of course, what I've uh, had to do is I've. T it's 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 essential as a play. It's essentially a set of metaphors. So I've created a university which doesn't exist, mm -hmm. which is analogous to two or three universities that were involved in the Climategate scandal. I've created um, 
tree ring experts, paleoclimate, paleoclimate uh, experts that are analogous to paleoclimate experts that we know. <laughs> uh, but they're all they're all um, ciphers or metaphors or call yeah, them what you like. Um, my uh, heroine is a sea level expert, and specifically a sea, sea level ex expert in the Maldives. And I'm I have an email correspondence with Neil Saxel Morner, who is a sea level expert in the Maldives and is normally cited as the contrarian sea level expert whenever mm -hmm. these subjects come up. And I have a very good email relationship with him. I I'm not uh, qualified to assess his work as a mm -hmm. scientist, but um, he has his papers published. Mm -hmm. Other people assess his work, and um, it, you know, in terms of well, if we, let's take the the central issue in the play is whether sea level is uh, rising in the Maldives uh, or is accelerating in the Maldives, and um, as far as uh, satellite altimetry and his his own work goes, it's not. So and um, you know, I'll put my um, I mean my support behind that is relatively worthless because mm -hmm. I'm not a sea level expert myself. No, but. You know, um, I can see his point of view, and I want other people to see his mm -hmm. point of view as well, because I think the the other, th you know, the the main thing in the play, weirdly, is not the science. It, it it's the way that we non-scientists, and I count myself as a non-scientist, even though I do have a science degree. I've got a degree in psychology, social psychology, actually, American discipline. But um, the human being, the human brain, is a stochastic chaotic system just like the climate so my training my three years of doing psychology taught me that when you're studying stochastic systems the amount of science you can actually do is is minimal you know uh, psychology you can write psychology papers on, on a thousand subjects but it, it won't tell me what Ian's going to do at two o'clock when he walks out of that door I don't know what you're going to do maybe you take up hang gliding mm -hmm. you might maybe go and have six pints of beer I will never know because there's no science mm -hmm. that's good enough to predict that you know so I maybe my training as a psychologist taught me that uh, science isn't necessarily um, the <laughs> um, a tool that you can mm -hmm. uh, state the economy on put it mm -hmm. that way do you you know coming back to the thing with with Al Gore and you looking at that and it's what is referred to as the hockey stick uh, uh, um, um, model for yeah, the yeah. for the graph. Yeah, I mean that was like that was like a big aha moment for you, right? You know that you actually said, yeah, yeah. So you people had spoken about it, and they well, other people had written about that. And I mean, the, you know, the uh, I I came to the, you know I wasn't in the forefront of debunking an inconvenient truth. It had already been debunked in the British law courts because mm -hmm. some lorry driver from Slough or somewhere. Uh, realised that an inconvenient truth was being shown at his kid's school and he thought it was rubbish. I don't know where he got his idea that it was rubbish from being a lorry driver or something. Yeah. But he took it to the High Court uh, in, in London and the High Court agreed with it. And it is now illegal to show an inconvenient truth to school kids in England because it's it's rubbish. You know, there's uh, the lorry driver or whatever he was, I haven't... He was an ordinary working man. An ordinary working man, he might have been a lorry driver. He pointed out 33 things that he considered were incorrect about an inconvenient truth. And the law courts looked at all of those. They were 
you know, they couldn't definitively say that all 33 were wrong, but they chose nine that were definitively wrong, mm -hmm. which is enough to make it illegal yeah. in this school. So if, if any school teacher in this country wants to show an inconvenient truth to their class of school kids, they have to <laughs> basically hand every kid in the school an errata sheet mm -hmm. before they can see the film. I mean, it's, but the rest of the world, you get, what did he get for that? He got um, the Nobel Prize. <laughs> the Nobel Prize for yeah. something which is... Uh, One had just have to say that the Nobel Prize is the most mischievously <laughs> awarded prize in the history yes, of the world. Yasser Arafat. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, uh, you know, you only have to go back to William Butler Yeats getting it because he was an Irish nationalist and that was a yeah. poke in the eye to the... You know, the, he... But all, yeah. the, all the same... It does fair to us. It's a con consolation prize because he was robbed at the election. So. But, that's but a, a, more, that a more important um, symbol is that hockey sticks symbol mm -hmm. really which is to some degree in the play debunked in the tree ring study mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. looked at in the second half uh, which is less to do with Michael Mann's you know do you know all this stuff Michael Mann he, Michael Mann is the scientist who the paleoclimatologist mm -hmm. who um, created the hockey stick if you like mm -hmm. or discovered the hockey stick or the man whose name is on the hockey stick is Michael Mann Professor mm -hmm. Michael Mann of Penn State University isn't he um, but he's been challenged over that, you know, solidly for the last ten years, and a, um, a, a, a court of Congress found that his, his st st uh, the statistics he used were inadequate on it, and I think there's another study which endorsed it. So there's conflicting studies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But there's um, there are tree ring uh, climatologists in this country who support him. They're all. This is why they're known as the hockey team because they all kind of work together. Um, and there's a uh, another study of uh, Siberian tree rings which su suggests that it supports the hockey stick, but the uh, the the size of the sample is something like 14 trees, of which one mm -hmm. shows a hockey stick. Mm -hmm. But because of the kind of statistics they use, which is they use this particular type of statistics called principal principal component analysis. I don't want to get into that. No, no, it's, it's too tedious. But basically, it it'll pick out one from mm -hmm. fourteen, and that what happens in that one, it will place mm -hmm. over the whole fourteen. Yeah. You know, I, I, trend. Actually, I, I enjoyed reading all the stuff in there. All because, that, yeah. Because because you know that you can in a play you can make anything sound convincing. Yeah, and, and that's what you have to do, and you have to be, and, but there was enough debate going on, there's enough debate going on in the play, and it's about somebody sets this against the other thing, and really, what you, the answer to my original question is, there probably isn't an aha moment in the play where somebody says that, whereas uh, in other things there are glaring errors or... Misinterpretations. Yeah. But I, su I suppose the personalities, the characters in the play, represents certain things that are going on. We, we, our, our heroine is, you know, she's a kind of pure scientist. She values science. She's learned yeah. her science from her professor, who has become. Um, what words can we use for what he's become? He's um, he's followed a kind of noble cause, mm -hmm. uh, saving the planet just to give it a phrase, <laughs> saving the planet. And he's dropped his science. Mm -hmm. He's become a politician. Mm -hmm. uh, 
she's not moved. She's a solid scientist. She knows she's only interested in the truth. She doesn't mind whether it goes that way or that way. She doesn't mind what she discovers. Mm -hmm. Whatever she discovers is what she discovers, mm -hmm. and science moves forward. He's not. He's he's gone through that, and he's become a kind of well. The, the modern phrase for it is post-normal science, post-normal scientist. He's mm -hmm. now serving politicians. He's serving people who pay for his uh, research grants. Um, the company in the play that is backing his department, he'll give them the results they want. Mm -hmm. yeah. can, I just yeah, sure. can I just move on now to that whole thing of academics? Because obviously, you know, from from my reading of it, you seem to know the the nuances of academic life. And as we, before we started the interview, you said that in Britain here we might be moving more towards the American model and stuff like that and you know as you just like to talk about what happens in academe here now and yeah is this so big that you know that uh, most of these uh, 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 colleges and universities are in hock to uh, you know quite substantial uh, um, capitalist interests by and large yeah well I, I think that's certainly happening I mean wh when I went to University, it was always presented as a little bit like a cathedral, wasn't it? I don't know mm -hmm. um, whether Bretton Hall had the same thing, but I went to Loughborough University of Science and Technology, and it mm -hmm. was like the, there's only one thing goes on here, and that is pushing back the frontiers of human knowledge. That's the only thing that goes mm -hmm. on. And I was shocked how little teaching we got. And obviously, as a 19 year old, you learn that when you're at university, you're reading, so you spend all your time in the library, and then. Mm -hmm. Whatever, um, and it's, it was new to me that the lecturers weren't professional teachers; that they were researchers who did a bit of teaching and didn't do it very well, very often. Mm -hmm. And that was the university that I grew up with, the style of university. Now, because of different funding things happening in this country, uh, in the UK, um, there's less um, uh, tutorials, there's fewer seminars. Um, Kids maybe get two or three lectures a week and no and no, no other support. There's, you know, they're basically entirely reading, um, and funding for universities is they've had to go to industry, commerce, and um, try and flog their wares basically. So if you get an earth sciences department, who are they selling to? Well, they're they're selling to people like um, the insurance industry. So if you you know these. Earth Sciences departments, they're going to insurance, massive global insurance companies and saying, you know, we can provide, you know, sea level data, um, uh, global temperature data, we can do this, we can do that. And of course, the, the very fact that you're getting into bed with an insurance mm -hmm. company who wants to scare the hell out of everybody mm -hmm. so they buy uh, insurance, um, you're immediately corrupted. It's not a pure, it's not a pure human cathedral activity <laughs> <laughs> the cathedral's got broken windows straight away yeah and a, a very good example of that would be a, you know i don't mind mentioning them would be an insurance company like kathleen uh i don't use them in the play i don't mind talking about it in the in the interview because it's public domain what they do uh, they support um a thing called kathleen arctic survey which is that they send a group of scientists and media people whatever you know, to trek across the Arctic uh, every year. I think they've stopped doing it now. But the purpose of them doing that is to 
tell the world that the Arctic is melting. You know, and it, it gives us many, many funny stories because the first time they went, they couldn't get past you know the 40th parallel or whatever because all their equipment was frozen and mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, it's ba- you know there is that level of involvement and corruption going yeah. on. Also, your the your fictional company, which is called Catalan in the um, in the piece, isn't just quite even an insurance company. It's much something more like a a sort of like financial instrumenter and sort of hedge foot you know yeah. they, they, they you know they, they have to be that broad because they want to be yeah, they're in reinsurance as well mm-hmm. yeah. it's it i mean the central the central activity uh, catalan is, is insurance but they they do yeah they're playing all the markets in reinsurance mm-hmm. as well so it basically serves them perfectly well that the whole world is getting um alarmist scared of sea level rise scared of Freak weather, all all those other things that um, an earth sciences department can contribute mm-hmm. to. Um, here's here's a question for you. The, uh, a bit of baby on the tape. Oh, that'd great. be great. Nice. Have a baby on the tape. It's baby cry. Yeah, you are you are sufficiently population boom. Yeah, you are you are sufficiently uh, uh, optimistic about the world's future that you will bring a child into it. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, absolutely. And good. For you. Now, if somebody, when somebody, if somebody says to you, this play is about climate change, it's about climate change, I would say, well, that's a pretty tall order, because I think it's also about other things which are, you know, I'm getting here at sort of, you know, the freedom of thought and, uh, you know, and, you know, the case of the outsider, the, uh, uh, somebody not following the orthodoxy and stuff like that. Would you like to speak a bit about that? We, I know we mentioned before, uh, Galileo, which you were yeah, talking. I mean, uh, there's obviously a direct analogy with uh, Galileo. She um, is involved in observation. Um, she goes to the Maldives. She measures sea level in her own way, and that is her life. She observes. She observes. She observes, which is one form of science. Um, the world around her, the alar- you know, we're all going to hell in a handcart alarmist world, they have developed um, a kind of computer modelling mindset of doing science. Rather than observation, they you know, feed lots of data and statistics into computer models and project the future in a mathematical modelling way, which gives them extraordinary scary scenarios, um, which you, know, you can do. If you, if you modelled my uh, weight gain, for instance, from the age of 45 to 55 when I die I'll be 187 stone do you know what I mean you mm-hmm. can model alarmism quite easily mm-hmm. um, but she does what Galileo does he looked out the window mm-hmm. Galileo with a telescope and discovered you know that um, the earth goes around the sun and the sun doesn't go around the earth and he had the you know the heretical nerve to go around telling people and there's a lovely thing about Galileo I, I, in the um, in, in Brett's play where where he says well what I say is irrelevant because now that the telescope is invented everybody can see what's going on <laughs> you can't stop you can't stop that but basically the, it's the same thing which is there is a dogma there is an orthodoxy which cannot be questioned unless you are a heretic um, and uh, like Galileo she does that Unlike Galileo, she doesn't, in the end, conform. But yeah, yeah. yeah but unlike 
Galileo she doesn't duck and dive because that was what Brecht was Brecht was a ducker and diver himself and there's that wonderful bit which is a parallel with your play when the scene where he has a telescope and he sort of invented this telescope or stolen it from well he's stolen it from the Dutch from the Dutch but which is fun itself yes but he's in bed with yeah when when they say things like well can you see these ships at this distance <laughs> and so it becomes you know sort of like uh, military ordinance then which he's prepared yeah. to sell to them in order you keep know going, yeah, to keep going way, yeah. so like, mm. and that's in ducking and diving whereas you know uh, Dr. Cassell's, Cassell's in this play is, is really almost a purist yeah I, I, well yeah she she does she give at any point? I don't think she gives well at any I, point, does she? I think that, no, she doesn't. But the cleverness of your play, if you don't mind me saying so, is that you have this other theme of her daughter and her anorexia. Yeah, yeah. There's where, a human where, where, where she's where she's actually giving all the time yeah. and standing off the thing to the point where she'll just curl up and let yeah. herself be beaten. Yeah, you I mean, know, it's, it's a very interesting sort of analogy that, which I'm sure, you know. Well, this, I mean, I, I, I'd rather you don't print this bit in the interview because it, it's, it's, it, it's, um, uh, it's a bit pretentious, really. But I mean, I as a writer, I don't mind sharing this one with you. But the, the, the idea of an anorexic daughter is the economy. You know, she's not taking food to become healthy. The economy mm. is no longer burning fossil fuels mm-hmm. and, and I understand that. Yeah, no I don't want the audience to know that though that's what I mean no, you know they'll, no, they'll no, find no, that and enjoy it yeah, if but, they can but see that's, it but. but that's the but that's the thing about the play uh, and that's what that's what enriches the play is that there are certain certain models uh, like this where uh, where it's symbolic of something else yeah but it yeah. also provides a vehicle this woman who stands firm on the planet about everything else mm. but gives up all the time for the thing that she loves she's incredibly human you know yeah well uh, none of us are dr spocks are we uh, and uh, it, it you know she's a, yeah, a lot of people will be seen like that if they are to be scientists yeah know? well sure yeah. yeah i mean you you know well this this is mm. One of the things, maybe, about the play is uh, that the um, the professor character is is all too human. Yes. You know. Yes. And she was, uh, sorry, he was her role model mm-hmm. as a scientist. You know, it's like, uh, you know, she went camping on some iceberg or something mm-hmm. in the play with basically Karl Popper, didn't she? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he was her Karl Popper. You know. But I think that there's another thing going on in the play, which is you mentioned it before, which is about faith and about belief. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of um, the way that uh, it's kind of environmentalism, if you like. I mean, we've got the young lad involved in the Sacred Earth Militia, which mm-hmm. for him is a religion. Or uh, well, it's without doing spoilers, it's Jeff, isn't it? Mm-hmm. He, he, the, the young lad's suspected of being in that. But uh, I think there's also a God-sized hole in, in our lives now, mm. uh, which environmentalism, it, it, ha- it worked for me. And this is why the, I feel as if I can write about this, because it genuinely did work for me. That I don't have a God in my life. I don't have um, a, a man with a white beard sat on a cloud 
uh, who sent his son to earth. I, I don't I don't follow that. I'm not religious in that sense. But I do need something spiritual. I do need sets of principles to live my life. And as I say, I used to vote green. And ten years ago, well, I still do it actually. But I I would recycle. And I with my car out there, I'll show you. It's converted to liquid petroleum gas. Mm -hmm. uh, not this house, but the house I had before. I had solar panels on the roof, mm -hmm. and I was doing that as a religion. Mm -hmm. Not, not. I wasn't. Didn't think I was saving the world particularly. I was giving myself satisfaction mm -hmm. because if I read, you know, a magazine or something like that, I would read the magazine one day, and the next day I'd put it in the recycle box, and I would get something religious from that. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. might sound mad. No, See, no, but recycling the London Review of Books yes. told me I was living my life in the right kind of way. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And that's nothing but religion. Yeah. That's nothing but religion. It's, it's, cycling to work when I could drive, mm -hmm. which I do, is nothing but religion. Mm -hmm. It's I'm a good person. I don't buy Starbucks coffee. Why is that? Because I'm living my life to a set of principles, which is, you know, that's different reasons. They don't pay tax in England, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think that that is the thing, like when I said about my wife, she said, you don't believe in climate change. Well, climate change is climate change. It happens. The climate does change over the years, and that's how you can study it. It's whether you believe what are the, how it happens and, and how we are responsible for it happening. I think that that's... It's, uh, and I think that that's an interesting thing that Americans will... Yeah, I mean, find I, or come up against you know a lot of it belief is much easier for them yeah well I, I think I mean the work this issue of belief is mentioned a great deal in the play and Diane has a phrase she says I don't believe in anything mm -hmm. uh, I'm a scientist I don't believe in anything you know, she has to prove everything before she can mm -hmm. allow it to influence her behaviour and yeah, that's a difficult way to live because we casually say, I believe this, I believe that, I believe that. But when it comes to an issue like this, one has to be rational. You have to of use course. you have to use reason. Mm -hmm. But the whole the whole I mean, the, the whole area, this whole area has become it's not science, it's nothing to do with science. This mm. it's all politics now. I remember that Tony Blair famously said when justifying his his Iraq adventure, I know what I believe. <laughs> <laughs> so it, because he believed it, it therefore became and you know the, it suddenly became a fact because yeah. he believed it and it, it reminds me of a Stuart Lee joke do you know Stuart Lee the yes, yes. He's, somebody once said to him oh you can use facts to prove anything <laughs> <laughs> which is again you know, yeah. I mean that the, both these counts the alarmists and the uh, sceptics uh, are, are both doing the same thing which is a kind of what's the social psychology phrase cognitive dissonance isn't mm -hmm. it? They're, they're just avoiding cognitive dissonance all the time mm -hmm. but you know if there's a report saying that the arctic's melting or something the skeptics won't read that report you know if there's a report that says antarctica is not melting the alarmists won't read that report they're, they're just mm -hmm. moving through life avoiding information that they don't like both counts yeah interestingly enough coming back to specific facts, there is the moment in the play where she mentions this typo, oh, yeah. where he yeah. says that mm. the uh, mm. that the Himalayan glaciers are 2035 and it should have been 2305 or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and and that he then says it's not a typo; it's yeah. a, he's done it, done it deliberately. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's um, uh, well, that happened. I mean, that's that's yes. not something I made up, but mm. that's something which ended up in um, one of the IPCC reports, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and basically, got into the Bible of climate research. I think largely because of this thing called noble cause, um, well, blindness, I suppose. I think I genuinely believe that the IPCC think they're engaged in a noble cause of saving saving the world, mm -hmm. saving the planet, and so they will see something which is looks like a piece of research. In fact, it wasn't a piece of research; it was a bit of local journalism, mm. um, which said all the glaciers would melt by 2035 and they put that in mm -hmm. into this incredibly weighty um, document which all governments will read and it, it's it's bunk it, you know it's and, and also speaking about that notion in terms of another thing that they, they've just done this thing where uh, the education secretary in Britain Michael Gove has said that these research things have shown these various things, and the, it's turned out it's not been research. It, they've just what, know, what, on what issue? It was it was on the issue of what I think it was whether kids knew certain geographical facts or oh something right. like that. And it had it had been yes, there was a there was a survey done, but it was a survey done by a newspaper. Which oh right, then yeah. <laughs> Somebody calls it research, you know. Yeah, well, this this is you know that other phrase that I've used before, which is coming to the fore, particularly through um, climate change, the whole climate change thing, is this post-normal science thing, which which is that you know you take your statistics or research from wherever you can find it in order to serve your your ends. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it did start with people say that God, when would it be? I mean, back in the eighties, you have to check this out. I don't, I've forgotten it now, but. Um, the guy who set up the IPCC, Bert Bolin, I think he's Swedish, he basically wanted nuclear power in Sweden. And, you know, he was pushing that lobby, mm -hmm. nuclear power in Sweden. How can we, how can we further this? Um, and he found some research that was saying, showing or suggesting that CO2, which was a known greenhouse gas, mm -hmm. is a known greenhouse gas, um, was, you know, raising the temperature of the earth. This is way back, you know, before it was an issue. Well, actually, it was at the same time when the big fear was that the Earth was going to freeze. Mm -hmm. So it was at that same time. He he was using the research to open the doors for nuclear power, and that's again, that, you know, that is post-normal science. It's using science to meet a political end. But interestingly, I I just heard um, a program the other day uh, on uh, Melvin Bragg. Lord Buffont of Cumbria mm. was uh, um, did this thing on ice ages, oh, right. and in ice ages they have like they have uh, they have like they call it the greenhouse age and the ice age, and that that the, they move from one to another, and we still happen to be in an ice age, and this is over <laughs> millions of years, and this is how yeah. climates change like that. But you know, sort of. Like greenhouse has become this sort of like pejorative term. Yeah, well, it, it's it's a weird term greenhouse as well because it, it it's inaccurate. And a greenhouse, the way that a greenhouse works, I, I remember sitting in a greenhouse with my fourteen-year-old daughter um, only a couple of weeks ago at my dad's, 
and I said, why is it warm? We were sitting in the greenhouse, because it was cold outside, but yeah, we yeah. wanted to be in the garden. I said, why is this warm in here? And it's, uh, it's quite cold outside. And she said, well, it's the glass magnifying the sun. I said, no, it's not. It's not, it's not at all. The glass doesn't do anything apart from stop the wind. Mm-hmm. And that's all. That's the only way a greenhouse works. And the, the idea that you caught, you caused the way that CO2 and the other greenhouse mm-hmm. gases work, a greenhouse thing, it, it, it's nonsense. It doesn't work like that at all. It, it's not a that kind of blanketing thing going on. It's, so it's, it's bouncing a, back up off again. Yeah, it's, it's a completely different thing. So where anyone got the idea of using that term greenhouse from? But it is an official term. It is an official term, in, yeah. in, No, no, it's, it was always an official term inside climatology. Oh, right, okay. They there's a, the but it goes over things that, that you go from a greenhouse Right, to an ice age. Yeah. To an ice age, yeah. <laughs> but now it's become this this sort of thing. Well, I mean, I, I think the other thing about the, you know the general public, I don't this and I think the mainstream media have got a lot to answer for here. The, you know the the all the papers we read that nobody is kind of willing to take a historical perspective on this. That mm-hmm. you know there was a time. You know, when the Romans were in, where it was a lot warmer, and then the medieval warming period, there was, you know, that um, round about the year 1000 uh, AD, where, um, 10,000, sorry, um, where we had, what was it, nearly about 2,000 years of, um, you know, fabulously warm weather, where civilization mm-hmm. was enhanced and whatever. And of course, then there was, eight, <coughs> sorry, 1347, when there was a, a massive freeze. Which killed off the Black Death. So yeah, what well, was wrong with that? <laughs> well, you know, any any time that the Earth has been cold, it, it's been miserable, and there's been plagues and death and, and whatever. And the idea that well, the um, coldness killed off the Black yeah, Death. Well, they, it's yeah. like developed that before. So I mean, but you could be brutal and say that a wet and warm world is a good thing. You know, yeah, we know that from history. You know. Yeah, and the, you know, it's like basic, simple things like. The Vikings went to Greenland and grew corn there. You know, mm-hmm. let's not forget that. Let's put that on the table and talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. Why was it warm then? And you know, it's getting warmer now. Okay, I just want to ask <coughs> just more into one more area. You said about um, when the play went to Australia, it caused something of a furor. Could you just talk about that? What what the issues were? What people? Were yeah, I don't talking? think a, a lot of people. Uh, well, it, originally it was. Damn, what's that theatre in Sydney? Uh, it was going to go to the theatre in Sydney that's run by... Who's Australia's greatest female actress? She, she played Dylan as a woman in the film about Dylan. Uh, oh, God, I've forgotten her name. Oh, she... Yeah, we'll remember it. You yeah, 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 yes, I, I will she, she be inserted later. I'm just blanking on that yeah. name. She kind of was going to take the play because she hadn't read it, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she heard it was a play about global warming, and she's very, you know, we, we are the greenest theatre in Australia and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, you know, and she was going to take it. And then she read it and dropped it like a hot potato. And it was picked up in Melbourne, but there was quite a vociferous group of people who thought it shouldn't be on in a publicly funded theatre because it was. I got letters and emails saying that it was uh, bunk and that it shouldn't be on and read my paper. One guy said, one guy wrote to me, um, uh, I got the email and he 
said, um, I haven't seen your play or read it, but uh, I've read stuff about it and I understand it's um, terrible and all the rest of it. I attach my research on this area. And I emailed back and said, um, uh, when you go and see my play, I'll read your research. <laughs> but it, I mean, that's we know that as, as writers, we know that as soon as anybody, any group of people objects to something, you know they haven't read it, they've seen it. Right? Yes, yes, you know, it's yes. just, it offends them. The idea that uh, somebody should suggest that, as I do in this play, that the islands of the Maldives are somehow, somehow or other, regenerating themselves, you know, rising all these sea levels. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, they just find that offensive. In, in fact, there's plenty of science backing that up. I mean, let's go back to Al Gore. Al Gore said there would be thousands and thousands of climate refugees from Tuvalu and those, you know, the Pacific Islands there going to Australia. There's ne not been one, not one single climate refugee from those islands. And in fact, quite recently, there was research showing that 80% of that archipelago had actually increased the land area. Mm -hmm. Because of the nature of what those islands are, they're um, volcanic. They're atolls, and they do grow with with the sea. I just realised I, I read all that in the play and mm. the Al Gore thing, but you know, that's another one of these sort of exemplars, which are designed to frighten because Australia has a problem with genuine refugees from yeah. Afghanistan coming in overcrowded boats yeah. and they and they can't handle it and they handle it very badly and so climate well, it's a, climate it's a political change, technique isn't it yes it's a yeah widen people's wounds yeah, yeah, more make the lie big yeah. enough and tell it loud enough yeah, and, yeah, sure. and then you've got it and, and of course we know how that's so so it's a uh, well you you've been over a, about a week haven't you mm -hmm. well, there was a story in the guardian about six Days ago, called America's First Climate Refugees. Mm -hmm. Did you see that one? No, I didn't. It's in our recycle bin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can find it online. Yeah, yeah. Um, climate Alaska, mm -hmm. uh, America's First Climate Refugees. Mm -hmm. This is an Alaskan Inuit tribe who've been, um, who they, they live on this kind of delta with these two rivers that surrounded by a kind of estuary and two rivers joining the estuary and they're in the middle mm -hmm. and the water levels are rising as the permafrost melts or something mm -hmm. like that and it you know it's got nothing to do with climate change at all it's 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 a modern population using modern heating techniques um, the Inuit tribe didn't choose to live there they were moved there by the government as a lot of those Inuit mm -hmm. tribes are and it's just it's just junk, it's bunk. I read it in the Guardian the missus gets to the Guardian, I wouldn't buy the Guardian, you know, but I have to read it I read it, mm -hmm. and I just looked at this and I thought, I don't believe a bloody word of this, and that's the kind of mm -hmm. maybe it's my again, contrarian instinct that makes me write these plays, I read an article and I don't believe a bloody word of this, I go on the internet type away, put the Inuit tribe name in, everything like that, it all comes up, they were moved there in 1957, they never chose mm -hmm. to live there, um 20 years ago there was a Pacific some weird thing happened in the Pacific which was a local ocean so, you know you find all this stuff mm -hmm. and it's just the way I am I remember writing to uh, Christian Aid they I, I give them money every month so they send you a newsletter <laughs> they chose to do climate change one week 
you know, which got me going. I looked at it, and it, they chose this village in Kenya. Village in Kenya, picture of this woman starved in dust, no rains for weeks. We visited her on May the 16th this year, and she was wondering how to feed her children. What do I do? Bang, get on the internet, ding, 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 rainfall. This village, put it in. You know, you can get that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. I found a headline, uh, May 14th, two days before they were there. Torrential rain, farmers rejoice. Two days before they said they were there and she was starving and there hadn't been rain. Mm -hmm. so I wrote to the guy. I wrote to the head of Christian Aid. I said, just explain what you mean by this. And we had about four or five letters and they apologised and they did this and they did that. And they, you know. And I said, well, you're making it worse for yourself. You're just lying to try and get funds, basically. You know. Still got all that. I mean, that's the way I am. You, know, you can't put all that in, but... Okay. Giving you an insight into my... Yeah, no, I think... You know exactly. I mean? And thank you very much. It's about truth. Yeah. Very... Say that again. <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> All right. I'm going to turn this off. Did you come from Norwich today? Yeah, I have a very good... I, I'm originally from Sheffield myself. All right.